HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. I'm Kathy Array, the host of Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. This summer, I'm taking a little break and having co-hosts Talia Ralph and Brianna Kurtz host several episodes. I'll see you back in the fall. everyone and welcome to Eat Your Words. I'm your host today, Brianna Kurtz. So here on Eat Your Words, we love talking to chefs and authors about their cookbooks and other print projects they might have going on. But today we're going to make a small departure and look at bookstores. Specifically, I'm joined by Matthew Sartwell, the managing partner of Kitchen Arts and Letters, which is a culinary bookstore located on Manhattan's Upper East Side. Hi, Matt. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So I'd love for you to tell us, what is a culinary bookstore? Well, I think every culinary bookstore, and there are stores scattered all across the globe and around the United States, uh, is in part a reflection of its local community. Uh, In New York, we are heavily driven by the needs of uh, professional customers, as well as people who are uh, attempting to be innovators uh, or researchers of of food. Uh, We carry thousands and thousands of cookbooks, but that's really only about half of what we have in the store. We're also very rich in things like food history, in manuals on process and on technique. We look at things that expose or attempt to dig into food culture, um, not just in the United States, but all over the world. We're trying to be useful to people who are serious about food or who are thinking about getting serious about food to try and plug them into a wider world. And so you only sell books that deal with culinary topics, beverages. I'm not going to find a book about um, 
NASCAR or something, <laughs> right? I think we have at one point or two had a, had a NASCAR cookbook, but um, I, I think Mr. Batali did one a few years ago. But we're we're really concentrated. We try to develop an expertise in in certain areas, so um, we don't really get. Uh, outside that very much. Uh, people sometimes come in looking for things that have a, a tangential relationship. We have a small selection, for instance, of books on gardening, mm-hmm. but our focus is often much more on, on preparation. But we can show you, I would say, 50 or 60 books on uh, Renaissance food and food of the medieval era. We're looking for very precise uh, books where an author may burrow into a subject and and pursue it with a passion that in other places might be, be regarded as, as obsessive. Mm-hmm. But for our customers, that obsession is absolutely magical, and they want to be in there, and they want to participate, and they want to learn from somebody who has had that kind of devotion to a topic. So let's back up a little bit. How did it get started? Well, the store has been open uh, a little more than 30 years. Uh, we had our 30th anniversary last fall. Uh, Knock Waxman, who is the founder and is still in the store, uh, three days a week uh, was an editor who wanted to open a bookstore and he looked for a community of people that uh, he felt was being poorly served by general bookstores and in an area where he was also personally passionate. Uh, he thought about uh, opening a sports bookstore but he decided that there were more people who were making their living in some way or another through food and that we might be more vital by being connected to that community. So we've been um, on the same block of the Upper East Side. We're on Lexington Avenue between 93rd and 94th Streets. Uh, Since we opened, we moved into a larger space after being opened a year or two. And we've been there ever since. Uh, We just renewed our lease for another seven years. And in that time, we have changed and evolved the kind of books that we carry. We've learned from our customers how focused they want to be on certain topics. And we've also learned that there are some things that may be huge national bestsellers, but which for us are simply not capturing the attention of our, uh, of our customers. Is it true that it, it used to be a, a butcher shop? <laughs> Half of the store used to be a butcher shop, yes. Uh, the, uh, the other side used to be a hardware store. But in the basement of, of one half of the store, there is an old meat locker, which we now use to sell to store vintage cookbooks. Ah, nice. Um, so there's some definitely like a culinary kind of uh, lineage there. <laughs> Very definitely. And before we, took, before we took the space over, it was a catering shop. Oh, wow. So NAC is, if, correct me if I'm wrong, um, was initiated into the James Beard um, Foundation Hall of Fame. And you yourself used to work um, with the James Beard um, Committee on, on books. Is that correct? Yes. I was uh, for many years a judge for the Cookbook Awards. And for six years, I was on the, uh, the Book Awards Committee the last three as the, as the chair of the committee. What era was that? Um, this was my first year off the committee. So I just, oh, okay. just finished. Uh, and it was, a, it was a great six years. It's an amazing process to... Uh, to learn about how people evaluate cookbooks. You see all the judges at work. You, you read what they have to say and how different people take books apart and challenge them and what they expect of them. And the beard process is actually pretty rigorous, and it asks a great deal of the judges who volunteer their time to do a lot of hard work. Uh, and as you see the input coming back in, uh, you really gain an appreciation about how many great books are out there. And one reason why I liked doing it so much was that it's after, even after a whole year of working in a bookstore devoted to food, the judging process exposed me to books I hadn't encountered yet. There, you, 
you can never be complacent about how much you think you know about mm. about things like book publishing. Uh, you're very saturated. You there's <laughs> books around you all the time, and you know I'm sure with judging for the Beard Awards, you have to obviously read everything. And um, so, does one kind of inform the other? Is there any kind of does it re you know reinforce your work um, with the Beard Awards or with at, at Kitchen Arts? Oh, it was always really helpful to bring. To, to lift what one knew out of one and into the other and, uh, and to gain some perspective. But I think all the time you learn what you don't know and you learn where you need to grow and where you need to pursue new areas of knowledge. So that was, that was one of the exciting things about, about working with the Beard Foundation. And it's been one of the thing, same things about working in a bookstore for 22 years. Uh, I came out of book publishing. I was an editor for Penguin before I started working for Kitchen Arts and Letters. Uh, I think that I was a fool to have ever thought I could be a good editor without having been a bookseller first. You learn very differently how people use books when you see them choosing them in a store and, and saying, oh, I want this because it does this for me. And it's a very different exposure to the way in which people make up their minds about books and what they value in books. And can you talk about anything that you've seen? I mean, the landscape of food has changed over that 22-year time that you've been with Kitchen Arts, 30 years for um, the, the whole time of the store. What's really been changing as far as the landscape of books? Like, what are the changes you've seen? Well, I think there have been a couple of things that have been uh, very noteworthy, one of which is that, that the general cookbook has been receding, and people are, uh, are much more interested in books that offer them depth and offer them background and, and help them understand where food comes from and why it might be eaten in certain ways, which isn't to say that a book comes along like a great everyday book like The Spitten Kitchen, which is a terrific book for, for weeknight cooking and, and uh, you know, from an author who really sort of earned her chops. But at one point, that was really all that publishers put out were big general books with an occasional international cookbook. Now uh, a book can come along like Sandor Katz's Art of Fermentation, which is a, a massive book that is very rich in detail and uh, sort of obsessive. He goes into things that the squeamish people might not even want to know about. But he's there, and you know that you can follow what he's done because he's devoted himself to that. And that kind of devotion and that kind of focus, uh, it, I think, is becoming much more prized, certainly among our, our customers. That said, there are, you know, there are a lot of people out there for whom uh, a weeknight dinner, uh, that it doesn't come f f out of a bag from uh, a fast food restaurant, is something of a challenge. And... Um, Everyday cookbooks in some ways have become simpler and easier to use, and we keep our eyes open for, for good examples among that, too, because not everybody has the time to uh, make sauerkraut every weekend. Well, I think single-subject books are definitely um, a thing of the moment. Every, you know, there's one on salt, and there's one on sugar, and there's one on pork, and there's one... I mean, every week I feel like there's a new single subject book on a very you know finite ingredient in, in some ways well and, and, I, and I'm happy to see that continue because I think that kind of uh, exposure to uh, to a deeper understanding of something is very worthwhile we may not all want to be as obsessive as these authors are but we can profit from them and there's a a book coming out uh, this fall uh, by Jennifer McLagan called Bitter, uh, and it follows a book that she did called Fat, and a book called Bones, and a book called Odd Bits. And she's done a great job of, of approaching subjects with a focus that really can open a cook's eyes to possibilities that can be done with food. And 
you know, bitter seems in some ways like a horrifying quality for food, but it's, we're really coming to appreciate just how much a bitter element can add to a dish. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that book when it's finished, and uh, I have big hopes for it. Well, and then there's all those um, the small yellow books Andrew Smith is the editor for. the, And it, it's the same. It's like pork and tea. I mean, everything. They have so many now. There are there are a lot of series like that, and, and sometimes it can be a little bewildering. We, I have to admit, we cherry-pick among them, mm-hmm. looking for people whose work we know previously, and then sometimes taking a, a flyer on a subject that we've never seen a book on before, uh, we'll be happy to go after that. The, uh, the people who do here in Brooklyn who do short stack editions have done some great little books on things like buttermilk and uh, strawberries and grits, and, and we carry those as well because they, again, they just offer a, fr- a, f- a freshness and some excitement. I think it's really great that you can be so selective, too. You're already in a niche, but then you're like even more. <laughs> well, I think one of the most common things people say when they come in the store and they, they look around, because we have about 13,000 books on mm-hmm. the floor, and they say, you must have every book in the world. And, and the truth of the matter is that we don't, a long, a long, long way from it. We, we do pick fairly carefully, um, and we go to some unusual lengths to get some books in areas where they're, they're not generally available. So we bring in books from many, many countries. We have about a thousand books in French, hundreds and hundreds in Spanish. Uh, we bring a few things from Italy, bring stuff up from South America and Australia, because those are books that are just not well represented in the things that come from the mainstream American houses. I definitely want to touch more on that a little bit later in the show, but I wanted to ask, um, kind of in this day and age of um, eBooks and just being an in- independent store of any sort, really, any kind of slow business, it's just really hard to survive. So, how have you been able to do that over thirty years? Um, what challenges have you overcome? What challenges do you still face? Well, that's a that, that's a it's a big topic. We've been very fortunate in having uh, customers who who support us. Uh, in the face of uh, what I might say were opportunities to go to go elsewhere, we're very aware of the the big online players in, in the book business uh, and the way that they've changed uh, how people think about about books and and things like book pricing. But on the other hand, we continue to pursue things that cannot be found elsewhere. I mean, I can easily walk around the store and, and put a stack together of 100 books that you can't find online. Or if you do find them online, you're paying a horrible premium for them because somebody realizes I've got the only one like this in the world. Um, so we do work pretty hard to continue to offer people a value that they don't get from, uh, from some of the big uh, electronic sellers. We offer a lot of customer service. We work hand-in-hand with people. We talk to people. We spend time asking them questions about what they want from a book and helping them get to it. That said, we know there are people who come to see us who take our advice and walk out the door and order online. Mm -hmm. Um, Can't really worry too much about that because I don't want the fear of that to interfere with offering the best possible service to to the people who have come in the door. Uh, we do have now um, just started recently selling our more recent arrivals online. It's a small, small collection of books that we're going to be adding to on a regular basis, both new arrivals and we're going to be highlighting some classic books that we think people may be overlooking in mm-hmm. mainstream channels that are really worth spending some time with. And we're just going to continue offering as close a service as we can to people. And, and I think... Uh, 
keep getting back the kind of support and feedback that we've gotten from the food community to date. Just keep doing what you what you do. And well, we've we've expanded our program of events in the last year or so. We do a lot with the 92nd Street Y, mm-hmm. which is a big New York cultural institution that's a block and a half away from mm-hmm. us. That gives us a chance to have something where we may have 300 people get together to hear an author. We can't do that in the store. Well, no, I I think I mean like doing what you do in the sense that you're not going to let the kind of fear of outside competition change the heart of your business and also... Um, that you're, and I've been in your store several times, and the customer service is always excellent. So, in kind of keeping that familiarity and that touch, definitely, we want we want people to be able to come in and 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 talk to us and ask us questions and and not be shy about saying, "Oh my gosh, I really don't know anything about this subject, and I I have to sort of come up to speed on it quickly." Or sometimes people say, "I had a great dinner at a at a at a Thai restaurant last night, and I don't know anything about Thai mm-hmm. food. Can I can I get in there? Can I be doing that kind of thing?" And we, we're happy to talk to people, but that makes the day for us go so fast and is so much fun. And uh, it's, that, you know, it's that sort of talking about good books that, that makes the job so rewarding. Do you work with other small bookstores across the country where if maybe a well-known independent bookstore in San Francisco says, we're looking for this book. Do you guys, do you guys collaborate at all? We, or we you- trade a lot of information okay. back and forth. Um, you know, good news, bad news. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, somebody tried to scam us recently, mm-hmm. and I, I called a couple of our competitor stores and said, watch out. Somebody's got an act out there, and they're trying to use it, and they seem Great. to have tailored it to a food bookstore. But there are, you know, I don't think of those other stores like San Francisco or Seattle mm-hmm. or Vancouver or Montreal as competitors mm-hmm. because – we're all of us special to our place, and you know I'm I'm happy to send an order to somebody in Savannah or uh, somebody in Kuala Lumpur, but I think that the fact that a, a store in San Francisco is thriving is is better for both of us. Yes, great. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Matt and getting into more of the details about the inventory. Stay with us. You are listening to Baby Boy Blues by the California Honey Drops here on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Center is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. 
All right, welcome back to Eat Your Words here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Brianna Kurtz, and I'm speaking with Matt Sartwell, the managing partner of Kitchen Arts and Letters. So I want to talk more about the events you mentioned. Um, What type of events are you doing? When did those kind of get started? How can people find out more? Well, we began uh, a very intensive event schedule last fall uh, with the 92nd Street Y. That was the first time we'd been able to get a coordinated uh, lineup put together. And it, it's been a great deal of fun. We've had um, small-scale events and large-scale events. So uh, we had, uh, for instance, Renee Redzepi of NOMA uh, come and visit us with 250 people in the audience. We had smaller events uh, where uh, just after her, her new book was published, Molly Katzen, of, uh, originally of Moosewood fame, and just released a new book called Heart of the Plate last fall, came and, and talked about the differences in vegetarian cooking between the time that she wrote Moosewood back uh, in the 70s to, to now and how, uh, how much more rich vegetarian cooking had become in that time. So most of the events are an author in conversation with uh, an interviewer, but sometimes they're participatory. We had an ice cream social with the folks from Cool House and Ample Hills Creamery here in in New York. And uh, we'll be doing some events this fall with people like uh, Dave Arnold of Booker and Dax. uh, One of my fellow co-hosts here at, um, not my co-host, but a show host here on Heritage Radio Network. Well, Dave's Dave's book (laughs) Liquid Intelligence is out this fall, and we'll be having a lot of fun uh, doing an event with him, but we'll have Sean Brock of uh, Hoskin McCrady's uh, with us for the fall and another event with, uh, with Yotamato Lange. And all those things are a chance for people to get to interact with the authors and, and to learn about them in a much more personal way and to get their books signed and, uh, and have, have a little fun. Are these chefs also customers of yours? Many of them, yeah. We we rely a lot on on professional chefs to uh, to build up our business, and and for that audience, we carry a lot of things that are uh, would be probably close to unsaleable elsewhere, but which are like candy to uh, to somebody who makes their living preparing and creating new food. Our biggest seller this year is a is a book from Copenhagen, uh, which is in English from a, a young chef named Ronnie Emborg, who has a book called The Wizard's Cookbook, and it's exquisitely photographed, very ambitious food. I would never suggest it as a, as a, as a host or hostess gift for a weekend in the country, but for, uh, for somebody who's got to come up with new plating ideas and, and new food all the time, it's an, an enormous boost to imagination and creativity. I've seen the book. I haven't quite flipped through it. It kind of makes me want it makes me think it's like a Harry Potter like a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a magical world. Well, it uh, the title suggests that a little bit, but it's it's actually um, an incredibly precise book. The mm-hmm. recipes are followable if you have the ingredient access and the time. Uh, it's very seriously put together, but it's also um, a great testament to the way one guy's mind works, mm-hmm. and you can really get in inside his head and see how he's putting dishes together. But we we're importing books for that audience uh, quite regularly. It's a big part of what I spend my time on. I do want to talk about that, um, the importing side of the business or the sourcing maybe out of print items. Um, how can you like walk me through if there's a book I wanted and I, I call you, I email you, what, what would I do and what would you do? Well, it would depend on whether the book you're asking about is, is currently available somewhere in the world or whether we have to find um, a secondhand copy for you. If it's 
new. Uh, if it's still in print from the publisher, I'm probably the one who's going to tackle it. If it's uh, if it's an out-of-print book, Knock would definitely be the person who would go after it. His expertise in tracking down out-of-print far exceeds mine, and his knowledge of, of, of books is, uh, is really targeted to that. Um, we, we definitely go after uh, anything. I have a list of things to tackle when I get back to the store. The requests that came in over the weekend for things that we might, might be able to find on some very specialized subjects. Sometimes we can get a relationship struck up with a publisher right away on a new book and, and, and have it in, in a week, even if it's coming from overseas. Sometimes it takes a lot longer. Sometimes the struggle is to get it for you at a good price. Uh, we, uh, we work very hard to keep things like shipping costs down. But in some ways, you can't avoid the fact that it costs a lot of money to get a book up, you know, mm-hmm. up from Australia or, or so forth. But we don't give up on, on searches for books, whether they're brand new or, or older. And, and we're always getting in touch with people every day and saying, it's here, finally. Do you have like your Italy contact and your London contact? And you're like, okay, we think this book might be here, so we're going to call... This guy. In some places, in some places, we have a lot better arrangements where we have a, a sort of a centralized authority that we can begin with. But in many cases, it's a matter of establishing a new relationship with with each book, particularly on the foreign things. In Spain, for instance, we deal with uh, half a dozen publishers regularly and a lot of others on a time to time basis. Italy is even more so. It's a place of uh, enormous creativity and a great deal of um, idiosyncrasy in the way that that ordering takes place. Um, but we that's part of the adventure we get to know people and uh and and learn from them and some of the people we've been dealing with overseas now for for more than 20 years and what are um some current releases that are out there or some that you're looking forward to you mentioned bitter coming up in the fall as well and on some other events of chefs that are have books coming out i know heritage is coming from sean brock and but what's out right now or coming soon that you're really looking forward to? Well, it's, it's funny. The, uh, one of our most successful books in the last uh, two months that is domestically published is actually a pair of books on, uh, on, on butchering, mm. uh, and both for beef and for poultry by a young man named Adam Danforth. They're uh, very explicit, uh, very detailed guides, and we've been selling them like crazy. I mean, I, I thought they would be strong, but I'm, I'm really impressed by the way that they've uh, that they've taken off. Um, that's just been uh, incredibly satisfying for us. Uh, we're still selling uh, quite well. Uh, David Lovovitz's book uh, on on Paris cooking. That's been um, such a pleasure to dip into over and over again with people and to talk to them about it because it's a very charming event. We had a we had an event with David uh, about a, six weeks ago that was a big success. We had. It was so big that we had to move it out of the Y into a local high school gymnasium in order to accommodate all the people who wanted to meet him. And that book has uh, just been so, so sweet and charming. And, um, you know, as the summer rolls around, there are also mm-hmm. some older books that come back into play for us. There's a, a book called Cucina Fresca by Evan Kleiman and Viana Laplace, which is all food meant to be served cold or room temperature. It's been around for 25 years, maybe more, and every summer it's a terrific thing because people are so excited to have something that doesn't heat up their kitchen and uh, when dinner time rolls around. Very hot uh, cellar in New York then. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, people take it out to their beach houses mm-hmm. or to visit friends in the country. Absolutely. Oh, very cool. I'll have to check that out. I'm, I'm not familiar. So, and um, are there any sleepers, like books that you are just loving but aren't selling like hotcakes and you're, you kind of wish they were getting, getting some more play? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think um, 
every uh, every bookseller has those books that they they personally fall in love with and uh, and expect to do better. Um, it hasn't I haven't been struck by that really recently uh, about something uh, coming along slowly. I have to say I'm satisfied. Uh, yeah, I mean there are, there are years when I'm I'm beating my head against the wall trying to get people interested in 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 books. It's definitely a common phenomenon, but lately I've been I've been very pleased with the way people have been excited about the stuff that we like. Good. Well, it's funny when I was doing, you know, some background research on you and also hearing you speak it you know, talking about where the books are kept and talking about sourcing them from different brokers, per se, overseas, about finding this one special kind of gem. A lot of parallels to wine, which is kind of a very, where I come from in a comfort zone for me. So are, are you insured? Is your collection insured? <laughs> yes. We, um, I, I can say that we've had uh, very good luck with insurance. We had a flood. Uh, about That's 50- what I'm thinking. Like, I picture this nightmare scenario of all these books underground in your store, and I'm like, oh A God. pipe burst in our basement about 15 years ago. Actually, not in our part of the basement, but in, elsewhere mm-hmm. in the basement. But it flooded probably only about three inches of water, but that was enough to really set us back. And that, uh, that cost us some books that we really loved, but... Uh, yeah, we we take that part very seriously. Absolutely, temperature controlled <laughs> and like no UV light and uh, we haven't gotten the temperature <laughs> control yet. I, but we um, we're always fussing with things, and there are certain things in the store that are that are um, scarcer and more valuable, and that require you know being kept and stored differently mm-hmm. than uh, than your average brownie book. Yeah. Um, so not that you maybe have much time, but are there any books that you read besides cookbooks and like? I do. I read a lot of history. Okay. Um, I find it helps enrich my knowledge, my understanding of what we do in the store. But I'm, you know, I'm happy to curl up with uh, with a piece of fiction on the weekend just for a change. I, I read a lot of Dickens. Okay, interesting. And what about um, food food signs? Food signs is that what people call them now? All these magazines. I think that's maybe been a change that you've experienced. Yeah, there's there's been a real pl- proliferation of, of those magazines, and I think some very good creative things are happening there. Partly because they're happening away from uh, big mainstream publishing houses, and you see people taking risks. I really love Fool, which is a magazine that comes out twice a year from Sweden. Uh, we do very nicely with that. We've always done really well with Edward Bear's Art of Eating newsletter, mm-hmm. which I think is some of the best food writing published in America. Just on a you know day-in, day-out basis. They really do a fine job. Uh, but we, uh, we like Gastronomica, which is really more concerned with uh, food culture, or Petit Propos Culinaire, which is a, a gathering place for food historians. Mm-hmm. And all of those really find an audience among our customers. And you have overseas magazines as well? We I do. Mean, you, obviously, you said um, Fool. Fool, yeah. But um, other maybe ones that people aren't as familiar with... Um, that are very like micro in different countries. <laughs> I don't know that I can burrow quite that in on magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, we do carry Apicius, which is a chef showcase magazine that comes out of Spain, uh, and it, you, it doesn't feature just Spanish chefs, but it is um, sort of spawned by that creativity that you see in, in in the Spanish restaurant movement, and also a pastry magazine called So Good, which features rising stars in the pastry world, beautifully plated, plated uh, desserts, and so forth. Those. It's all phenomenally well for us. Excellent. 
Well, I, I really feel like I could ask you a million other questions and talk to you all day about books and, and food, but we're about out of time. So, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time out away from the store and coming to hang out with us here. Um, I encourage everyone to check out Kitchen Arts and Letters. It's located on Lexington Avenue between 93rd and 94th Street. Um, and if you can't make it to the store, you can always check it out online, kitchenartsandletters.com, spell out and A-N-D. And um, that's all for Eat Your Words today. I'm Brianna Kurtz. We'll see you next here next Monday at 1 p.m. where we'll be talking to Heritage Radio's founder, Patrick Martins, about his new book, The Carnivore's Manifesto. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.